Hey legends, welcome back to Skim Me Up Body, the uh, Star Trek podcast. Uh, it's not all going to be Star Trek. Uh, I love Star Trek, but uh, there's a heck of a lot of other science fiction shows that I'm going to get my eyeball sockets around and we'll chat a little bit about it on here from time to time. But we are pretty much going to be going back to back on Star Trek movies and shows, episodes, you name it. Anything that pops up, we'll talk about it. And uh, I just finished off the old show UFO, which is absolutely fantastic. We're going to get into that very soon as well. Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. This is an absolute treat of a movie. I didn't think after the Wrath of Khan and the Search for Spock that they could better those two movies. And in a way, they didn't. I don't think this is just as iconic as those two movies. But it's right up there with them. It pretty much finishes off the story that started in the Wrath of Khan, which continued into the search for Spock, of course. And this is tying up the loose ends of what happened afterwards and uh kirk and the crew deciding to go back to earth to you know face the consequences for their actions and star trek free when they stole enterprise to go searching for spock um this is the uh the movie that has the environmental message this pops up in virtually every movie series and tv series at some point there'll be something in there along these lines and again we've got leonard nimoy directing this one and after the huge success of star trek for he was given a lot more freedom to do what he wanted to do on it and him and the producer harv bennett they conceived this story with an environmental message and it's got no clear-cut villain in this one. They wanted it to be a, a movie where they, the crew gets on the situation that they have to resolve. And there's, you know, it's just a situation, really. Basically, at the beginning of the movie, uh, an enormous probe, like a big cylinder, it's, it's almost like a cigar floating through space, uh, Everything that passes, it's, it's sending out this signal and it's disrupting the the power of everything it comes in contact with, starships, you name it. And eventually it gets to Earth and uh, the signal is beaming down and towards the oceans on the planet and it's creating worldwide storms, uh, you know, the, the clouds blocking over the sun. And eventually, Sarek gets Starfleet to send out a planetary distress call to tell all ships to avoid the planet Earth. And while this is all taking place, the Enterprise crew, living in their exile, in, or on Vulcan, I should say, in Vulcan, that'd be weird, uh, they decide to head back. Uh, Spock, he's pretty much still recovering from his resurrection at the end of uh, Star Trek 3 or getting his catcher put back in his head um, 
and he's taking all these tests and that's you've seen it in uh, quite a few Star Trek shows and whatnot, uh, like the the Vulcan tests where they're just like they're, just, they're fired all these answer or questions at them, they have to answer them as quick as they can, you know, within a certain amount of time, and he's going great, he's like all these scientific questions and straight off the head he's getting them all he's getting them all and then this question pops up how do you feel and he pauses and then the computer asks again how do you feel how do you feel he doesn't answer um, eventually he's like i don't understand the question and at this point his mother pops in she's like you know spock you're you're my son i'm human you're half human you know you need to be able to deal with your human side all surface from time to time that is the tasty thing about the pretty much the remainder of the star trek movies this one and star trek 5 there's quite a bit with spock almost been childlike again after what happened in uh, star trek 3 and that led to some really good comedy moments within this film and the next one. I should say, just to jump back a little bit, at the beginning of the movie as well, on the Starfleet headquarters, uh, there's there's this meeting of all the upper brass and the Klingons are there as well, and you know they're talking about Kirk and you know the stuff that he's done and the charges that he's going to be brought up on and again as like I said in the last scheme me up body uh, the security monitors you know whenever Kirk and Sarek were looking to see what happened Spock before he died and I was like you know they're just pretty much bought the well back then it would be a VHS you know they're just playing the VHS back and on the big view screen in this movie uh, they're showing the fate of the Enterprise and Star Trek 3 and that's literally you know cut for cut the explosion of the ship exactly like it is in the movie and you know you do know why they do it like it's that's it's not brain surgery but there's that little part of you watching that there it's kind of thinking to yourself yeah you're just watching the movie here come on you know you're a fan you're all fans really just like me come on stop lying to yourselves you're actually watching the search for spock right here uh, but uh we do get a little bit of back and forth between the the upper brass and the klingons about you know like a possible peace talks between earth and the klingon race uh they're pretty much you know there'll be no peace as long as kirk lives and uh I don't know why I didn't start with that. But anyway, here we are. Um, Kirk takes a, a head count on Vulcan. You know, are you all on board to go back to Earth and face the consequences? And the crew is right there with them. They've renamed the Klingon Board of Prey uh, the Bounty. Uh, <laughs> uh, genius. Love those little old time references put on the Star Trek um, they get off the planet they're heading back and of course 
Ahura is on the ship and she's going, you know, communications officer, she's monitoring to see if there's anything coming from Starfleet and like there's a lot of uh a lot of noise on the airwaves, but you know Kirk's wondering why like we haven't met any Federation ships on the way back to Earth and then they get the the distress signal, the planetary distress signal from Earth saying, you know, Earth's pretty much done for, you know, save yourselves, don't be coming near Earth, you know, Godspeed and uh, farewell sort of thing. It's just like a goodbye message from Starfleet essentially at this stage. So of course only the crew of the Enterprise could work this out. Uh, they hear the signal that this probe is putting out and fairly swiftly uh, with the help of Spock they discover that you know if you put this sound into a water environment it sounds exactly like a humpback whale and Spock is like you know what we're in major trouble here like there's nothing left living on earth that can answer this message the humpback whale has been extinct for goodness knows how long so they come up with the idea time travel slingshot around the sun get on the time warp head back to when whales are alive and uh, bring some back to the future to save the earth um, they call Starfleet Starfleet sort of gets the, like a partial piece of the message and hear that they're planning on attempting time travel but you know they the signal from the probe is pretty much destroying everything at this point and then the windows explode on to the the room where the upper brass and Sarek are all standing at and off the bird of prey goes slingshots success back in time to 1986 um they land and they discover the ship's power is, has been completely drained by the time travel so they hide the bounty in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park using the cloaking device which is also going to be depleting the last of their power but you know they can't let a flipping board of prey be seen in 1986. I just want to see the year 1986. And I don't know why this escaped me at the start, but this film is actually dedicated to the crew of the spaceship Challenger, uh, which was destroyed shortly after takeoff on January 28th, 1986, I want to say. So just before the movie was released, so they put a little thing at the start of it, you know, dedicated to the, the crew. Beautiful, beautiful little, little tribute for them. Um, where are we at now? We're in Golden Gate Park. Uh, the crew split up to accomplish several tasks. Kirk and Spock, they attempt to locate humpback whales. Scotty and McCoy and uh, Sulu have to construct a tank to hold water for the whales to be you know, put onto the ship. There is an absolutely fantastic scene couple of scenes actually when Scotty and McCoy go to this company that manufactures like plastic walls and oh you need to see that 
Like I'm not even going to go into big detail there. But Scotty is at his comic best in this movie. That's so, so good. Uh, especially the part where, you know, there's a part where... You know, obviously they've got no money to pay for anything. So Scotty decides to give this boy that owns the company a way of constructing a wall that, you know, in 1986 would have to be six inches thick. But Scotty, using his future knowledge, can give him the, the details to make it only one inch thick. So uh, the guy says, you know, use my computer. So, of course, Scotty, been from the future, goes over, sits down at the computer and he's like, Computer? Computer? Of course, the computer's not answering. It's not a future computer that he's used to. And uh, McCoy lifts the mouse of the computer. And uh, for a split second, you think Scotty has gotten the message, but he hasn't. He, he puts the the mouse up to his mouth like a like a communicator, and he's like, "Hello, computer." <laughs> so you know, there's loads of little wee things they got there, in it. and uh, so good. It's such a light-hearted. Gosh, I just killed my phone there such a light-hearted movie compared to everything i come up before this um ahura and check off they're told to go and find a nuclear reactor and uh you know they're going to use the the radiation from a nuclear reactor to pretty much jumpstart the board of prey again or get its dilithium crystals regenerate re-energized regenerized there's a new word for you re-energized and uh of course they go for a naval ship and uh, of course the ship they come across is the uss enterprise and uh yeah another nice little tie-in for a real life ship you know there what there actually is a ship called the uss enterprise a big bloody boat uh and spock Find a pair of wheels in the, the care of Dr. Gillian Taylor, who is played by. Uh, gosh, what's her face? I can't recall her name. Anyway, it's not important. She's a scientist and she's, she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. And. Yes, very, very attractive in the, the love interest for Kirk in this movie, basically. So, forgive me, I'm just literally going to, and you know, like the professional thing for me to do would be to stop the recording for a moment to check out IMDb, but I'm not going to do that because I am me and this is just the way things work in uh, this little universe that we're living in. Uh, Catherine Hicks, Dr. Gillian Taylor, played by Catherine Hicks. She's great in this movie. <coughs> uh, they discover that these two whales are, they were brought up in captivity and they learn that they're going to be released into the wild and she is panicked because you know like whales at this point in history are 
been highly sought after by hunters. Uh, they're quickly getting killed off worldwide. And uh, two that have been brought up in captivity are like they're going to have less of a chance than a whale that was actually born in the wild. But the no one scenario for her, the Kobayashi Maru, if you will, is the fact that you know they're almost fully grown at this point and to keep them in captivity will eventually kill them as well so she's really got no choice but to let them go and uh, of course Kirk is trying to talk her into letting him take the whales without giving away that he's from the future and whatnot but eventually he has to come clean and she in all fairness it's a movie you know it's there's a lot of stuff that you need to get in there in a certain amount of time but the fact that she believes him so quickly there is a bit of uh, like I don't believe you sort of a you know mindset to her but you know uh, when she finds out that the wheels have been released without her knowledge she's really got no choice but to go and ask Kirk to help her um, I should say Ahura and Chekhov, they, they do manage to get the the radiation from the ship collected. She is able to beam out, but before Chekhov can get beamed out, he's taken prisoner on board the ship by the, the military police, and he's been questioned, and he tries to make a run for it, and ends up falling, and pretty much winds up in like a coma, rushed to hospital. So before... The crew can go to get the whales. They have to stage an, a rescue mission <coughs> to get <coughs> to get Jack off out of the hospital. So of course, enter Doctor McCoy. Absolutely fantastic few scenes in the hospital where McCoy lands on in his as usual manner, and he's not happy. With the way anything has been done, it's like the dark ages, as far as he's concerned. Like he's walking through the hospital, and there's an old woman, and a bed, and really, really bad shape. And he's like, "What's wrong with you?" And she's like, uh, "Kidney dialysis." And he's like, "Dialysis? That's like the friggin' middle ages." And he reaches into his bag and he pulls out this little pill, and he says, "Pop that in your mouth, swallow it, and uh, if you have any problems, call me." And he walks off and they eventually find Sulu, him, Kirk, and Jillian is with them as well. And she poses as a patient on a gurney and Dr. McCoy and Kirk, they're dressed up in, you know, doctors, scrubs, and they have to get past the security and the operating room. And they eventually cure Chekhov, and you know, the doctors are just about to start operating on him. And uh, Kirk locks him in a room, and they're watching in amazement when McCoy puts this little computer device on his head and turns it on. And within a few seconds, Chekhov is wide awake and good to go. And while they're making their escape out of the, the hospital, you see the same old woman that McCoy was talking to earlier on. She's up and she's happy and she's like I'm well again 
uh, plays out so so well. Um, just what I'm thinking about that. There's a two-part story somewhere in the run of Voyager. I'm thinking around about season one or two, somewhere along the line. There's a time travel episode, two-parter, where the Discovery, Discovery, the the Voyager crew end up accident. Well, not accidentally go back in time. They have to go back to correct something and it pretty much plays out very very similar in tone to Star Trek for the Voyage Home but anyway jumping back to the movie <coughs> they get the Bird of Prey up and going the uh, the tank is ready to receive the wheels and they get the track and there's like a there's like a code and a chip on the the wheels so they can be tracked. They get the the code and lift off and Jillian, by the way, tricked Kirk and he was gonna leave her in the past, get the wheels, head to the future. But as he's beaming in to the border prey, she jumps into the transporter beam with him and uh, she winds up going back to the future with them. So when they eventually <coughs> get to where the whales are at they're out in the middle of the ocean at this point and there's a whaling ship closing in on them and of course the bird of prey comes in cloaked and when the harpoon is fired off at the whales it shoots out into the air and bounces off nothing of course it's the it's the cloaked bird of prey between the the whaling vessel and the the whales so then, of course, they decloak the ship. These pirates freak out, turn their ship around, and make it run for it. Scotty beams on the the wheels and a whole load of water onto the ship. Now they have to make their return trip back to the future. Way. <laughs> so, uh, Spock is having a bit of a hard time calculating the trajectory of the ship to do the slingshot around the sun to get them back to the exact time that they left you know what he wants to do is the moment they left the future they return to the future at pretty much the exact point they left sort of as if they hadn't left at all but McCoy has a heart to heart with him and he's like you know Spock's telling him, you know, it's, it's, I have to be exact here, it's just, I, I, I can't be wrong, and uh, McCoy is like, you know, just make your best guess, and this is like completely foreign to Spock, he's, he's Vulcan, everything has to be exact, there's no room for mistakes, and uh, this has brought to Kirk's attention that Spock is going to make a guess and uh, Kirk's reaction to this is like you Spock a guess miracles will never cease sort of a thing uh, takes it all light hearted and of course uh, Spock doesn't understand why Kirk reacted in the way he did and McCoy tells him well, you know Kirk has got more faith and one of your guesses and someone else's facts. So 
beautiful, beautiful little movie. They get themselves slingshotted around the sun, wind up back in the present day. Well, the future, from our perspective, but back to their present. And the, the probe, of course, is there waiting on them. Still throwing the signal down to Earth. And, of course, when the Board of Prey turns up, that's a fact that, like every other ship that's came across this probe, they lose power, go on their nose dive, and end up... And I always find it weird whenever this happens in movies, because they land <laughs> in San Francisco at Starfleet, like, under the, the, under the water. They do a water landing, but they land... Like the size of the planet Earth, and they can rip it in from the the sun out of a time warp, and they manage to land the ship, crash the ship exactly where they need to be. Uh, you see that in a lot of science fiction movies, but uh, you know it is a movie. It's to be enjoyed and not to be taken too seriously. You know, it's it's an escape. You know. You, all these idiots that are running about getting drunk every weekend and uh, popping pills and doing this, that and the other. And you just sit down, chill out, put your feet up, watch a good movie, get your little bit of fantasy time clock out of your own head for a couple of hours, watch a good movie like Star Trek 4. You know, that's that's my drug at the moment. Especially now that I'm off painkillers for four years. Hey, But, uh... They land, crash the ship, evacuate the ship. Uh, the whales, unfortunately, trapped inside the ship. And of course, whales need air to breathe. And if they're down there too long, they're going to die. So Kirk gets everybody off the ship. He dives into the the ship and uh, hits the manual release, opens up the, the cargo bay doors of the Bird of Prey and release the whales. So, of course, after a few moments, the whales start their their song, and this is what the probe has been waiting for the whole time. That's came from uh, an unknown part of the universe. You know, whales were on Earth a hell of a lot longer than humans ever were, and uh, you know this probe has obviously been sent back by someone to check up on. The wildlife, pretty much. But, unfortunately for Earth, they had them all killed. But, you know, thanks to Kirk and that, travelling back in time, bringing back these two whales, they start their whale song. In the ocean, the probe hears this, and uh, eventually shuts down its signal, and turns and flies off. And as it does, you see, as it's passing space dock, you see all the lights coming on in it, and that uh, power's restored. Earth, Earth's weather system starts returning to normal and uh, the global power grid comes back on. It's a happy ending, all apart for one thing. Kirk and the crew of the lit Starship Enterprise now have to go in front of the committee at Starfleet Command to answer for their crimes in Star Trek 3. And pretty much... At the end of the movie, uh, the sh- short story of it is, you know, saying as the crew of the Enterprise, 
actually just save the planet if it wasn't for this crew they would not be here to have this trial so all the charges against the the bridge crew and the officers that were involved in the stealing of enterprise and star trek free the, the charges against them are all dropped apart from captain well admiral kirk uh starfleet is like you know, as a member of starfleet you have to realize that there is uh, the chain of command and you as the the commanding officer of this crew have to take the responsibility and uh, the the one last charge is against Kirk for disobeying orders of a superior officer so his punishment for what he did on Star Trek 3 has been demoted from Admiral down to the 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 rank of captain and you know you're going to get a ship and pretty much you know it's it's a beautiful little piece at the end of it because the the higher ups in starfleet are like giving kirk a public slap in the wrist really to say look you disobeyed orders we're kicking your ass for it. But they all know. Everybody in the room knows. And this is just pretty much for show. Just for Starfleet to save face. But they all know. Admiral Kirk. Never was comfortable. Being Admiral Kirk. We've seen that in Star Trek 2. When McCoy came to visit him. He wasn't happy. Sitting in his house. you know, Doing a desk job pretty much. And McCoy said it then, get your command back before you become one of the antiques that you're surrounded by. So to finish off that three part story that started on the Rafik Khan, Search for Spock, and now the Voyage Home, Kirk gets exactly what he was hoping for. And everybody in the room was just like, you know, we're a bit slapping him here just for the public to see. But this is what he really wants and this is where we want him. You know, he's, he's Captain Kirk. He's he's the man. He's the dude. He's the guy. But uh, there's a really nice line at the end of the movie. And I love it when a film can do it to me. Uh, I had completely forgot about that moment at the start between... Spock and his mother and his misunderstanding of the computer asking him how do you feel and he didn't know how to answer it and there's a moment between Spock and his father Sarek and uh, this is the first time Sarek has seen Spock since he's come back to life essentially but he is Falcon through and through doesn't let many emotions away Spock having been half human half falcon has that sort of emotional side to him and uh, there's been a a disconnect between spock and his father and um, that's pr pretty much the the moment between them two is you know i'm about to leave now uh you did well in your mission that's very very monotone conversation and Sarek is like 
do you want me to give a message to your mother? And to link back to that moment at the beginning of the movie. Tell her, I said, that I'm fine. I love that little moment there because it kind of blows Sarek out of the water because Sarek and Spock have that little bit of disconnect and Spock to walk up to him and kind of embrace his human side at that moment is a bit of a shock to him. So, uh, beautiful, beautiful moment. Tell Mother I said that I'm fine. Wonderful, wonderful moment for me. Um, so, of course, at the end of the movie, the crew's all back together again. They're on the shuttlecraft. And they're like, you know, what ship are we going to get? And McCoy's like, we're, we're going to get a freighter after we did. And uh, Sulu, he's dying to get into the Excelsior. And, of course, Scotty's like, you know, why would you want that bucket of bolts? <laughs> and... Uh, Kirk is pretty much like, you know, just calming everybody down. He's like, you know, a ship's a ship. We'll take what we can get sort of thing. So, of course, we're flying up through space dock. You see the Excelsior coming in. And uh, at this moment, you're kind of seeing Scotty kind of like, uh. <laughs> And, of course, they fly over the dish section of the Excelsior. And on the far side of it, there she is. And all her glory... The USS Enterprise NCC-1701-A. Dash dash the perfect way to finish off this movie was to put the crew onto another Enterprise. <coughs> now people have said, it's kind of weird that they could build a new Enterprise. Uh, as quickly as they did because you know basically the original Enterprise was and I'm trying to recall off the top of my head it's been I actually watched the movie a couple of nights ago I do believe it was at the beginning of this film they were on Vulcan for three months I want to say three months so I'm just looking it up here I don't see any lessons for it. Um, I do believe it's uh, they were in Vulcan for a three month period after Spock's resurrection before they decided to leave. So Enterprise gets destroyed. Three months later, they leave Vulcan, have their adventure, find the whales, bringing them back. But with the way the time travel worked, they flew from Vulcan, which would take pretty much no time at all at warp speed and uh, travel back in time come back to the future so you know as far as elapsed time goes from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie it's a very very small amount of time and people have been like you know how the heck could they build a whole enterprise in a three month period well I do recall somewhere along the line and there is a couple of different versions to this story, but uh, correct me in the comments, please. But I do believe the the Enterprise A was originally the Yorktown, I want to say, and she was just it was just the Yorktown, 
taken on and its name taken off and the registry taken off it and the, the enterprise registry put on it and the enterprise name on it I do believe that's where it happened Yorktown for some reason is in my head could be completely wrong but there is uh, I believe there's a a book it's like a a manual like it's like a mechanics manual for the enterprise that's uh, written from the perspective of Scotty and uh, I think he gave it a different title or maybe it was him gave it the Yorktown and there's an R title came from where I'm thinking it's coming from whatever uh, that's how Enterprise A was there for the end of the movie was it previously it was a ship that was previously out flying the universe having its own adventures with a different crew and now it's within the care of Kirk and the the crew of the original Enterprise beautiful beautiful of course end of the movie they leave space dock go to warp speed wonderful wonderful film and in all fairness I have only seen this a handful of times in my life um, what year did this come out 86 I was 7 years old when this movie came out and I actually remember this film being in the cinema we didn't go to see it at the cinema but I do remember uh, passing by the cinema with my parents as a very small child and looking up and seeing that poster so you know for me growing up as a child that loved movies and it was always a big thing for me and my father on the weekends uh, he was his job took him out of the house a, a lot of time throughout the week and when he was home during the week, it was kind of like, you know, getting dinner and, you know, maybe an hour and a half, two hours after dinner, he'd be rolling into bed because of his job. He was a long distance truck driver, so he was up and way out early in the mornings. But the, the big thing that me and him had was Saturday and Sunday. And he would get up on a Saturday morning and get me into the car and we would head off to the video store. Do you remember those? <laughs> we'd head off to the local video store and we'd rent out a couple of movies. One for him and one for me. And then we would spend either a, a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon uh, <clears throat> on the couch together. First of all, we would watch the movie that he rented out for me, and then we would sit and watch the movie that he'd rented out for himself. Beautiful, beautiful memory that I've had from my childhood. And uh, whenever I need to get myself into a headspace of chilling out, calm myself down, getting some breathing exercises going, that's where I go to in my head as those Saturday mornings in the video shop with my father, seeing those posters. Star Trek 4. Awesome. Uh... That's going to do it for this episode, guys, because it is stupid o'clock, and this episode should have been out this morning. So, have a good day, morning, afternoon, good evening, good night, whatever time of day it is. I hope you're all safe and healthy, and uh, I'll talk to you on the next episode. This has been a production of Coins Edge Media. Check out my social media links in the show notes. 
thank you so much for listening.